This is Dr. Carissa Hines of Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. Information without understanding is not very helpful. Talk with the doctor and feel like you're talking to a friend. Skin just like pearls, the best thing in the world. Never charge you for anybody else singing. She says she really grew up poor like me. Don't believe in nothing but the Almighty. Just a little jeans and a pure whitey. She never dreamed for ever be nobody wifey. Good morning, good morning, good morning. This is Dr. Carissa Hines, and you are listening live to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. We are broadcasting live from the WWWE studio, Real 1100 AM here in Atlanta, Georgia. Thank you so much for joining me once again on a Thursday morning. And so, like we do always, we start our show with our shout-outs. Shout out to my number one fan. Good morning, mom. I hope you are having a terrific Thursday today. Shout out to family in Houston, Texas, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, Norfolk, Virginia, Seattle, Washington, Charlotte, North Carolina, Virginia Beach, Virginia, Hampton, Virginia, Gadsden, Alabama, Chesapeake, Virginia, Woodbridge, Virginia, Center, Alabama, Washington, D.C., Columbus, Georgia, Oxford, North Carolina, Hobbs, New Mexico, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, Temecula, California, Cedar Bluff, Alabama, College Park, Georgia, Opelika, Alabama, Lusby, Maryland, Newport News, Virginia, Pensacola, Florida, Macon, Georgia, Latson, South Carolina, and New Family in Centerville, Virginia. Hello, 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 Medical Minutes family, and thank you once again for supporting our show and listening every week and tuning in and doing all of that. As always, if you tell me where you are listening from, shout out your city, and I will uh, shout you out next week on next week's show. As I said, we are broadcasting live from the WWWE Real 1100 AM studio here in beautiful Atlanta, Georgia. You can listen to us on WWWE Real 1100 AM. You can also stream this show at www.real1100.com. And you can watch us live on our Facebook page, Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. And we are streaming live now as a matter of fact and so I'm going to say hello to Miss Wanda Porter who is watching thank you so much for your support all righty we are a part of the old-fashioned health network proud part of that and so in addition to streaming on our page this show is also streaming on that Facebook page as well this show is not only a radio show not only a health education movement we are also a podcast and we can be heard on the following podcast platforms iTunes Google Captivate Spotify Amazon Overcast TuneIn Pocketcast and Stitcher please follow us on social media at on Facebook, we are at Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. On Instagram, we are at Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. And on Twitter, we're at Minutes Doctor. All righty. So today's show, let me, before I get into the rest of our intro, let me just tell you, um, today's show is a, a very sensitive 
topic. Uh, and so, um, you know, if you have any any little ones that may be listening with you, uh, today may not be the day um, to have uh, children listening um, with you as we're going to be talking about uh, something of a sexual nature uh, with in, in dealing with sexual reproductive health. Um, and so that may... Uh, may engender a conversation starter that that you may not be ready to have. So that said, we're going to continue on. So uh, as you know, we just celebrated Memorial Day. And so I want to uh, take a moment to uh, give thanks for those uh, servicemen and women who have made the ultimate sacrifice uh, in defense of our nation. Um, and so I hope you all had a safe and wonderful uh, Memorial Day and our condolences, love and prayers go out to the survivors of those servicemen and women. Moving into our COVID update, because as we do every week, I try to bring you all the most current numbers and a little bit of news on the COVID front. And uh, once again, good news to report there. Um, the number of cases are currently 33.1 million. That has decreased over the last 30 days. Uh, the number of deaths, we stand at 592,000 deaths. That also is a decrease. The trend is decreasing uh, there as well. And of course, our love and condolences go to the families of those lost to COVID-19 um, always. Uh, our percent vaccination, we're at 62.9% total vaccinations. Uh, that means that we have administered 297 million doses of vaccine. And breaking that number down further, uh, 136.1 million Americans are fully vaccinated, meaning that they have received either one dose of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine or two doses of the Pfizer or um, Moderna uh, vaccines. And 168.7 million Americans have, have received at least one dose. So we are well on our way. We're right at that at 50% uh, have received at least one dose of the vaccine. And so, you know, again, I'm going to continue to encourage you all. For me, I am still masking when I go out in public, even though I am fully vaccinated, uh, because I am waiting for us to get to uh, the herd immunity numbers of 70 to 80 percent uh, vaccination rate before I will go maskless uh, in public. You can go to covid.cdc.gov for more up-to-date information and resources. Uh, you also can go to your state or local health department's website to get information on how to receive testing for COVID, how to receive a how and where to receive uh, a COVID vaccination if you are so inclined. COVID in the news, according to a report from Axios, COVID-19 cases have hit the lowest point in the United States since the pandemic began last March, with only 16,500 new cases reported over the last week, which is tremendous because, as you know, um, you know, at the height of the pandemic, we were well into the tens of thousands of cases uh, diagnosed. And new cases have declined in 43 of our 50 United States and have held steady in the other seven, which is tremendous news. So we are going to get into our topic today. So 
I like to think of the show as a health education show, right? Um, because our health and wellness education, because everything that we talk about doesn't necessarily relate to health, but more so to wellness. Um, and one of the things that was brought to my attention um, brings my efforts in education to a global, um, a global topic, which I am was very, very um, honored that uh, this these two women um, would like to come on to my little show and share uh, their expertise um, with me. And so, you know, this has broadened my perspective and opened my eyes to, to something here. And what we're talking about is female genital mutilation. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of background about that and what this is and why it's a problem. Uh, so female genital mutilation, or FGM for short, is the intentional removal of all or part of the external female genitalia for non-medical reasons. External genitalia includes the clitoris, labia, pubis, which is the fatty tissue over the pubic bone, and or the urethral and vaginal openings. This practice, I will say again, has no health benefit whatsoever. Um, there are four different types of FGM. There is the clitoridectomy, which is the removal of the retractable skin and the clitoris. There is excision, which is the removal of the entire clitoris and the adjacent labia or the lips. Uh, there is infibulation, which is the clitoridectomy and excision uh, performed to remove the labia minora and majora, so the vaginal lips. And whatever is left is pulled together and stitched up and closed, leaving only a tiny opening to accommodate for urination. And the fourth type is um, kind of a hodgepodge of uh, pricking, piercing, incising, um, cauterizing, or scraping, um, which, you know, all of those things just um, make my skin crawl to consider. And, and I will tell you, in doing my research, um, they, I, I came across some, some blood-curdling um, images there. So why is this practice? Um, mostly it is, uh, you know, several reasons. Um, to control a woman's sexuality, um, there are some gender-based factors that lead to uh, the performing of FGM. Uh, it is, in, in many countries, um, associated with the cultural ideal of femininity, femininity excuse me, and modesty. Uh, it is a part of a cultural identity in some countries, and it is considered a rite of passage into womanhood, although in some countries, girls are cut before the age of five, if you can imagine that. And there is the, the biggest push, it seems, from my research was the aspect of marriageability. Uh, it is believed to increase the, the attractiveness uh, in terms of marriageability and aims to ensure premar premarital virginity is believed to reduce a woman's libido and therefore believed to help her resist extramarital sexual acts. And so I will just briefly describe that once this procedure is done and healed, um, the area for 
urination is very small, the area for menstruation is very small, and the area for sexual intercourse is very small and can be can make sexual intercourse extremely painful. Uh, and so because of this, that is the thought that it is um, off-putting for a woman to decide to engage in extramarital or premarital uh, sexual relations. How much is this happening? So I'll just give you some statistics from the World Health Organization, the WHO. About 200 million girls and women worldwide are living with the consequences of FGM. Uh, these are widespread throughout Africa, Asia, and the Middle East, and also in the United States. I was very surprised to learn that. Uh, in Africa alone, approximately 92 million women and girls have undergone FGM procedures. About 8,000 girls are cut daily around the world. And uh, women in the United States are either at risk or living with the consequences of FGM, uh, several hundred thousand here in the United States. And so this, of course, has been outlawed by the World Health Organization and has been uh, deemed a, um, a violation of a woman's right, uh, women's rights, of course. Um, and so when we come back from our break, I'm going to introduce you to uh, two ladies who are on the forefront of ending uh, this torturous mutilation. I am Dr. Carissa Hines, and you are listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa, and we'll be right back after a break. This is fashion designer Edmund Newton. I'd like to tell you about Enmask.com. Enmask.com is my only source for non-surgical cloth masks. I've teamed up with Enmask.com to create and design a collection of limited edition masks. These masks are washable, reusable, breathable, and most importantly, fashionable. Shop online now at Enmask.com. That's E-N-M-A-S-K-S.com for quality masks made in America. Why choose Just for Pets Wellness Center? Compassionate pet care services featuring an experienced veterinary team to superior customer service in a caring and friendly environment. We offer individual attention and tailored treatment for each pet. Visit our website for more information at www.justthenumber4petsfl.vet or give us a call at 239-270-5721. Change my world Just like in the 
You are listening live to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa, and we are, I'm about to introduce to you two phenomenal women who are working to end female genital mutilation. And so this is a first for our show where I have two guests on at the same time, so I'm very, very excited um, about that. And so let me introduce you to the first woman who will be joining us. Miss Angela Peabody is the executive director and founder of Global Woman Peace Foundation, a 501c3 organization founded on the principles of eliminating violence and injustices against women and girls. She holds a degree in broadcast journalism. Ms. Peabody immigrated to the United States following a celebrated career as a television broadcast journalist in her native Liberia. The first Liberian woman to ever pen and publish a full-length novel, Ms. Peabody is now an accomplished and award-winning author. Her literary work includes the novels Exiled Within the Bowels of American Society, which was published in 2001, and When the Games Froze, which was published in 2014. She has also co-authored the biography of Sarian Buma, Welfare to Millionaire, which was published in 2004. Since then, Angela has authored two children's books and a training manual on FGM. In 2016, she headed a special committee committee to compile and write an educational toolkit on FGM to be used by teachers, nurses, and counselors in school districts throughout the United States. She is the recipient of several awards, Female Entrepreneur of the Year from Liberian Image Awards in 2008, Women in Media Award from the Women's Institute for Freedom of the Press in 2018, Global Health Services Award from National Association of Negro Business and Professional Women in 2017, the Susie Stevens Award from the William Killebrew Foundation in 2016, Print Journalism Award from the Ward Fund in 2016, Global Impact from MSP Club NCA in 2017, Impacting Lives Globally Award from Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated in 2012. In her advocacy work, she and her organization were instrumental in helping get legislation passed in Virginia to criminalize FGM and to have it included in the Family Life Education Curriculum. She recently was part of a special committee that helped craft the language of End FGM Act, better known as Bill H.R. 6100, presented by Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee. The bill replaced the original 1996 federal law against FGM. In 2014, Angela and Global Woman Peace Foundation made history when they held the first walk to end FGM in the United States, which has become a popular annual event in Washington, D.C. Our co-guest, if you'll call it, is Dr. Willa Jones. Dr. Willa Jones is a licensed professional counselor and is certified as a school psychologist, both in the District of Columbia. She has provided behavioral health services in elementary schools for over 20 years. 
A parent educator for more than 25 years, Dr. Jones is passionate about helping families pursue healthy, loving, and satisfying relationships. She has conducted countless parent education workshops on a variety of topics, such as understanding children's behavior, positive discipline techniques, and effective communication, how to increase desirable responses in children. Dr. Jones received training in bullying prevention and intervention from nationally certified Always Bullying bullying Prevention Trainer, Dr. Michael Carpenter. Since completing her training in 2009, Dr. Jones has conducted numerous workshops for parents and colleagues with the aim of teaching them how to identify and intervene in instances of bullying behavior. She has also implemented Dr. Carpenter's 28-session Waging Peace Bullying Prevention Curriculum as a part of whole class bullying prevention efforts for students. In addition, Dr. Jones has provided direct intervention services to students who have been the targets as well as the perpetrators of bullying behavior. Since its inception in May 2012, Dr. Jones has shared her expertise and served as a member of Mayor Vincent Gray's Youth Bullying Prevention Task Force. In July of 2014, she was asked to provide bullying behavior knowledge to a panel of international professionals who were interested in learning strategies to facilitate conflict resolution within youth in their respective countries. The visiting panelists hailed from 24 countries, including Israel and Palestine. They were selected and sponsored by the State Department. Dr. Jones served as an appointed member of the Mayor's Youth Bully Prevention Task Force for three years, beginning in September 2015. For the past three years, Dr. Jones has provided mental health intervention as well as mental health assessments for survivors of FGM as a volunteer with Global Woman Peace Foundation. Global Women Peace Foundation is a United States 501c3 charitable not-for-profit organization which advocates on behalf of women and girls against FGM, focusing on the United States and West Africa. For her work in the fight against FGM, Dr. Jones was nominated and subsequently received a Global Woman Award in the medical health category in 2019. Dr. Jones completed her doctoral degree in clinical psychology at the Mecca Howard University in 1997. Prior to working in school environments for three years, she provided inpatient and outpatient behavioral health intervention services to adults receiving treatment for chemical dependency. Ladies and gentlemen, Medical Minutes family, please welcome to our show Dr. Willa Jones and Miss Angela Peabody. Dr. Jones, Miss Peabody. Dr. Carissa. Good morning wow. to you both. Good morning. I am honored to have you both here on our show. Thank well, you. I feel honored to be, to be on your show. Thank you so very, very much. All righty. So I will tell you. Um, I had heard about FGM, um, but I really, really didn't take a deep dive until, you know, getting prepared for this show. And I will tell you, this is just really scary stuff that happens in Mm -hmm. other places of the world. 
And and that was why, I again, I thank you so much for coming on, because not only did it give me an opportunity to educate myself, um, but it gives me an opportunity to educate um, my listeners as well about something that is happening outside of the United States. But I found out that it is happening here in the United States. And that's going to be my first question. Um, what is the connection with FGM in the United States? Is this a thing of people doing a travel from the United States to to have this performed in other countries? Or is this actually being performed here in the United States? Well, I'll Angela, let you Angela. take that. Yeah, this is Angela, and I'll answer that. Um, it's, yes, it's happening here in the United States, which wow. is almost a well-kept secret. Um, it, wow. it happens where, due to migration um, to the United States, to Europe, to countries in Europe, or as far as Australia, um, FGM has has traveled to, to all of these um, continents, and um, but it, it also happens in 28 countries in Africa. Um, it originated in Egypt more than 5,000 years ago, wow. and it trickled down to sub-Saharan Africa and then to parts of the Middle East, um, parts of Southeast Asia, um, and today it's all over the world. It's found all over the world in North America, Europe, um, like I said, as far as Australia. Uh, and it's due to migration. But you mentioned something about taking the girls. There's also something called vacation cutting, mm -hmm. where parents would take the girls, remove them from either a country in Europe or from the United States and take them to their countries of origin and have it done there, and then bring them back. Wow. So in 2013, um, Congress proposed a law, the law to be amended to include something called vacation cutting, and President Obama signed it into law. So uh, now if a parent removes a child from the United States and takes her to her country of origin to have it done when she gets back with when they get back with the child um, they will be prosecuted and so I, I'm glad that you concluded your comment with that because as a physician I will say that I have been unaware if I have been in the presence of someone who has been um, a victim of FGM and so what is what should we do as health providers to be aware or to recognize that this may be happening? Because, of course, you know, this is happening within an immigrant community. But, you know, I, I personally think that it would be, you know, the height of arrogance to just assume that, you know, this is happening to a certain population and, you know, that ask. So I, I guess I'm saying that, you know, I don't know how to ask the question to even do a screening for for FGM. What advice would you have for for health providers or teachers, you know, anyone that may be coming into contact with these young girls? Well, first of all, it's 
really important for all health providers uh, in, in the United States to have full knowledge about F FGM. And this is mm -hmm. why we are pushing for the American Medical Association to consider including the study of FGM in medical studies. Um, in medical schools so that when medical personnel come out of um, medical schools, they will be fully prepared, fully knowledgeable about FGM. They would know how to, um, how to address it, but how to recognize it first. Mm -hmm. And you ask, how do you do, how would you do that? They need to be trained. They need to be informed. Um, they need to be knowledgeable, but you have to also, when a woman, a woman comes in to your clinic or to the emergency room, um, you have, you need to ask her whether she has been, have you been, not have you been mutilated, you know, use the correct language mm -hmm. um, that will be sensitive, culturally sensitive right. to her. Um, have you been cut or have you gone through circum female, um, female circumcision or female cutting, genital cutting? Um, ask her those questions mm -hmm. and, and have, have information there so that you can, we have a brochure, we have a little brochure that we give out to all of our FGM survivors mm -hmm. so that they can take it in with them because a lot of them don't want to talk about it. Right. So when right. they go in to see the doctor or to a clinic or to the emergency room, they make it easy, the brochure makes it easy on them. They just have that brochure filled out already and they just hand it to the receptionist or to the nurse, and she can read it and see what happened to the young woman when she was a child. Um, and then she doesn't have to come and say and volunteer that information that, oh, I was cut or I was mutilated. Right. Um, it, it makes that easy on her, and we, we hope that all... Clinics and um, hospitals, emergency rooms, that they would have, they would carry that kind of brochure. Um, we would be happy to to provide them with it um, for, for for them to distribute it throughout the hospital. And now, Miss Piotti, I'm going to ask: This brochure is it available in digital form? Because I yes. will be more than happy if you will send that to me. I will post that on the Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa Facebook page um, and uh, across all our social actually and, you know, and make that available um, because, you know, that's one of the things that I find with uh, sexual trauma that, of course, you know, victims are reluctant um, to, to bring that to healthcare providers' attention. And so any way that I can... Um, help to get that information out so that someone can can speak out and say this is happening to me you know of course I will be happy to do that so going into the health risks of this because you know as I described uh, in the in our intro 
that this procedure restricts the opening, the vaginal opening. Um, and so, of course, there are, you know, the, the risks of um, any surgical procedure. So the risk of bleeding. Um, and I imagine that there has been very severe bleeding um, that has been resulted from this, which, of course, may have even led to death. Um, of course, there is infection. And I was reading that um, in some of these cultures, they use the same blade over and over again um, without, you know, proper sterilization technique which you know that that's something um you know there is severe pain um and there is um of course infant and mater maternal mortality related to this um and the trauma of it so there's the physical trauma um but dr jones uh, could you speak to the psychological trauma that that may manifest uh from this procedure oh my goodness well i i could tell you that um Angela, probably uh, just as good of a therapist as I am, is these women love her so much. They share so much with her. I'm sure. But um, the, 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 the psychological trauma is so many things they're dealing with. Feeling betrayed by, because typically it's a family member who does this to you. Um, mm -hmm. Feel confused, hopeless, angry, uh, depressed. Um, Feel like that no one can help them. They, they feel like that they're a bad person. They feel like that they um, are not worthy of of being with someone. Uh, you know, of great relationships. I mean, there's so many feelings that are involved um, that is women, and so they get kind of caught up in that spiral. Um, some of them don't want to talk about it, but sure. for the few that I've spoken to, when they too. It, it, it's such a difference. Right. Yeah, that, that is, you know, again, you know, as I was telling our audience before, um, you know, the things that I discovered, um, and if you Google this, just, I'm just going to say, just prepare yourself for what you, what you may see. Um, you know, there was a very uh, emotional research activity uh, for me, and especially when I saw that young girls as as young as age five um, who have not even finished their their sexual development they haven't even started it you know they're five um, you know to go through this and I can only imagine being five and going through this and not understanding any of this and and having you know just this incredible pain and you know just the 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 loss of of not only innocence but the loss of trust because Absolutely. you know people are supposed you're five you look to people to protect you because you can't protect yourself and the very people that you are looking to to protect you your elders your parents um you know your village are willingly knowingly participating in this and so i can't imagine going through going through this and so you know, let's talk about who is at risk for this. Like, who are who are targeted um, for this? Because I think perhaps that is a key to um, to putting this to an end. If we can, you know, spread information about who is involved in this. So, who who should we who are who are the targeted groups of um, that may be affected by? by FGM, you know, is it 
a um, you know obviously there's a gender um, there and is it a certain religion or age group like who who is the target who are the targets for this procedure well the first thing I want to dispel the thought that or the idea that it is a religious um, practice it's not it has nothing to do with religion FGM predates religion um, they hide the, the people who practice it some of them would like to hide and they do hide behind religion and claim that it is their religious practice but it's not it it's a cultural practice um, and those who are those who are at risk of it or if a, if a girl is born to a survivor of FGM, she, she is most likely at risk. Wow. Even though it depends on the mother, if she, if she went through it, the pain of it, many of them now are coming forward and denying um, their daughters to have FGM. They are not allowing it to be done to their daughters. However, Excellent. there are too many, far too many um, mothers who have survived FGM and they still don't mind their daughter going through the same psychological and, and physical pain that they went through and still are going through it. Wow. So because it's, it's a lifetime scar, especially um, psychologically, and um, Dr. Willa can tell you that. Um, so if, if you're born to a mother of survivor of FGM, you are most likely at risk if you're, if you are from, um, if your ancestors or your grandmother or mother are from um, a certain country or a certain area in that country that practices it, mm-hmm. you are you are most likely at risk. Um, and that's how the World Health Organization breaks it down about who is at risk. Mm-hmm. But but then you think about I have met women who didn't have any none of their family members who um, preceded them have have gone through FGM, but they just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And it happened to them. Wow. Um, Dr. Willa and I could give you so many different examples of what we encounter in our support group every month. Um, Women come and there are so many different scenarios that uh, I'll give you a quick example. A baby was born here to Sierra Leonean parents because they were here in school, they, they were married, they were here in school, in college, but they couldn't handle their studies as well as take care of um, their baby. So they sent her home to Sierra Leone to the grandmother mm. to care for her. And they entrusted the grandmother and somehow um, a close relative in the family uh, Took her, took the baby, took the child 
to have FGM done to her, and it was done mm. to her. She was born here mm. in Washington, wow. D.C. Wow. And, and it, at that time, vacation cutting was not a law. But today, if that happened, um, the parents would have been held responsible uh, for that, for that wow. child. So it, it's, and then I want to also mention that it's not only the immigrant community um, practicing FGM in the United States. There have been at least two Caucasian American women, one from the South, from a Southern state, and because mm. of um, because. Of confidentiality, I will not disclose sure. who they are, but from one southern state and another from a midwestern state, it was done to them. Their parents had it done to them. Um, wow. the, the, the woman in the Midwest, she is now in her early 70s, and it was done to her when she was, I believe, three years old because mm. her mother thought, said that she her face got red and she got excited when she touched her genital, when they went to change her diaper and she Mm -hmm. put her hand um, on her genital area, her genitalia, she, her face got red and she got excited. She's a three-year-old girl. And granted, I didn't have girls, but I had boys. And as soon as you took their diapers off, that's the first place their hands went. Exactly. This that is, what they is a normal um, baby reaction or child reaction to do that. And her face getting red, she got excited. She's Caucasian, so her face got red when she got excited. I don't think wow. so. They they had they called their family doctor in, and that was the solution he came up with was to um, cut off her clitoris. Wow. Yeah. Oh. Wow, that this is sorry. This is I'm telling you, this is this is mind blowing, um, isn't it? Mind blowing for me. Not only that this happens, um, you know, because of course we can talk about um ritualistic things that that people do, and of course, you know, um, someone in um on on my Facebook streaming has asked about circumcision, um, and and the ritualistic, um aspects of that and how that may or may not be similar. Um, but the fact that this mutilation is happening in the United States is is just is mind blowing to me. And, and you know, and again, I thank you so very much for for bringing this um, for bringing this to me um, and allowing me to to share it with with my listeners. So now, um, in in the in the last minutes that we have together, um, what can we do here in the United States? Because of course, you know this is happening here, um, and happening in other in other areas of the world. Um, but what can we do to get to the root of of this and and to stamp this out? How can how can we help? Well, we advocates always say that we we have to educate. We just believe and and rely on education and information. 
continue to educate the public and thank you for what for what you're doing for us today having um Dr. Willa and me on to to explain this thing to your audience um we it's the media doesn't give it enough um attention and we have we keep having holding webinars and um seminars and workshops to educate the public um the walk to nfgm is 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 something that we do every year to help educate and raise awareness and that's what everyone who knows anything about it who has heard about it that's what we ask you to do to share it with your neighbors whatever you learn today from the show share it with your neighbors your friends your family your relatives um your coworkers most certainly now tell us so i have two two last questions the walk to end fgm has it happened for this year already or when, well when is it happening it usually happens in october it's an october event and this year it's um scheduled for october um 16th October 16th. I'm going to put Saturday, that in my calendar. Yes, if Saturday, I can make October it, I most 16th. certainly I most certainly will definitely make that trip because this is something that um, deserves the attention as you said, um, you know, from the media and and the more that we can do um, particularly as women um, to protect our girls. Um, you know, whether they are our physical girls or just our global community of girls and women, I think that we definitely should. Now, tell us, where can we find the Global Women Peace Foundation so that we can get more information uh, about what your organization is and what you do and, and how other ways that we can support you? It's at www.gwp. F and it's um, GWPS, lowercase ND, N like Nancy, D like David, dot O-R-G. So it's G like George, W like William, P like Paul, F like Frank, N like Nancy, D like David, dot O-R-G. And I will definitely post that link on our Facebook page as well. So in my last thing, I have to say, um, you know, that I am um, incredibly proud of my family anyway. Um, But Dr. Willa Jones is my cousin. And I just have to say, cousin, I I am proud of of when I read your your resume and this work that you're doing. This is just amazing. And and you, you ladies, please keep up the good work. Let me know how I can support you. I most certainly will do that. And thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to share with us about FGM. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Angela Peabody. Dr. Willa Jones and the Global Women Peace Foundation. Thank you so much for being a part of the show today. All right. Thank you. It was great. And this is Dr. Carissa Hines with Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. And we'll be back after a short break. Be sure to listen to The Wellness Enclave with Dr. Donna Sewell, 
a podcast that explores emotional health and its impact on everyday life. In the Enclave, we will address emotional health and how it is connected to other parts of your life, such as physical health, relationships, spirituality, and even decision-making. The Wellness Enclave with Dr. Sewell can be found on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is Alvin. And this is Edmund. On the Old Fashioned Health Show. Tune in each Friday from 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. And listen to us live on iHeartRadio or the Real 1100 app. Where we talk about healthy information, products, and or services. And get some old school music in. On the Real 1100. This is Dr. Carissa Hines, and you are listening to Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. We just had a a very powerful and informative session on female genital mutilation with uh, Ms. Angela Peabody and Dr. Willa Jones from the uh, Global Women's Peace Foundation. Um, And so just to to wrap up, you know, of course, we talked about the short-term health risks of FGM, but there are long-term health problems as well. And so, um, again, because of the nature of the procedure, um, there can be problems with using the bathroom, uh, for example, with urination, um, you know, of course. Um, There is also an increased risk of uh, sexually transmitted disease and infection um, due to less than clean uh, techniques. This is most often not done under a sterile uh, technique, and uh, in many uh, in many instances, the same instruments are used uh, between women, uh, between girls, or multiple girls, and so and not cleaned in between. Um, there's also the psychological and emotional stress um, that can last a lifetime. Uh, as a result of having gone through this, um, there is the possibility of painful sexual intercourse uh, or no intercourse at all, depending upon how uh, this this scars or heals. And so if you are uh, someone who has a propensity towards keloid uh, formation, then you will have you know this keloid uh, in your vaginal area. Uh, and there can be um, problems in conceiving and pregnancy. And, you know, that to me is the oxymoron uh, to this because the whole point of this procedure is for marriageability and for, uh, you know, saving yourself. And, of course, you know, once you have uh, a husband, having children. Um, but this procedure makes that very, very painful, very, very risky, uh, and, and in some cases not even possible. And so, of course, you know, as uh, the ladies shared with us, this is an illegal procedure now. Um, And of course, you know, there are are many uh, pushes towards uh, ending FGM uh, and protecting the survivors and helping them uh, to rehabilitate themselves. And as I said, I will be sharing um, with you um, 
sorry about that, be sharing with you um, information about FGM and about the organization in ways that, that we can help. Uh, but in our closing minutes, I want to give you our vitamin C. And our vitamin C today is about invisibility. And when I was researching this topic, um, you know, that kind of came to me because, as I said, um, I am not aware in, in the 20 plus years that I have been practicing, I am not aware that I have been uh, around anyone or have encountered a patient that has had this done to them, although I am convinced now because of the prevalence that I probably have. And so, you know, this made me think about my own invisibility uh, because, of course, as I go through through my day, particularly at work, um, I am Dr. Hines at work and I introduce myself as such. But in spite of all of that, you know, the badge and, you know, having it embroidered on my clothes and all of that, I am still not seen as Dr. Hines. I'm seen as everybody else, right, or anything else. I'm seen as in, you know, the, the housekeeper or someone from dietary or the nurse or, you know, anything other than, than what I am. Um, and I think about how many times in my career and in my daily walk, and I ask you to reflect on this as well, how many times you have seen but not seen. There are many, many victims of all kinds of things, right, that we walk past um, every day. There are many people who are undergoing struggles that are not visible, right? And, you know, I think that we go through life and we say that as long as someone looks okay, they must be okay. But that is not necessarily the, the truth. And so I think that in addition to seeing people with our eyes, we have to see them with all of our senses and we have to ask questions um, when something appears to be even slightly off because that may be how we allow someone who is suffering with something that is invisible to come into the light and be seen. And so I'm gonna close today with a quote from Ralph Ellison, the author of Invisible Man. I am an invisible man. I am a man of substance, of flesh and bone, fiber and liquids, and I might even be said to possess a mind. I am invisible, understand, simply because people refuse to see me. So I encourage you all to see and to be seen. Thank you so very much for joining me this week. Again, this is my most favorite hour of the week. Um, and this was was very, very special for a lot of reasons, this, this show. Uh, and so I hope that you all will join me again next week. And until we meet again next Thursday at 11 a.m., be good to yourself, be good to each other. Take care. This is Dr. Carissa. Thanks for joining me this week on Medical Minutes with Dr. Carissa. Join me next week for more comfortable yet in-depth conversation. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to another Old Fashioned Health Network show on The Real 1100.